0: To all of you who were not invited to the Cottage of the Lake, I wish you a very, very good morning. Uh, seriously, uh, we are so glad that all of you decided to join us here today, especially if if you are new around here. Uh, we don't take it for granted that you decided to give us a shot. Uh, and I would love to issue you a challenge and an invitation to come back for at least three straight weeks. And the reason we say that uh, is every single week is unique. Every week uh, has some differences to it. And we just think it's going to take at least a couple of weeks for you to really get an accurate feel of, of what we are all about here. And I'm pretty bullish on the point that if you come back for three straight weeks, the Holy Spirit, God, will, will start grabbing your attention in such a way that you're like, I, I think I want to go back to that thing. So so keep moving closer to God. He promises us this, and he will move closer to you. We hope that you'll take us up on that challenge and come back for three straight weeks. Uh, y'all are catching us right now in the middle of a nine-part series titled Upside Down, uh, where we're spending the majority of the summer walking through eight statements that Jesus makes right at the beginning of what is his longest and most famous recorded sermon. Uh, it's been dubbed the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, those eight statements have traditionally come to be referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude is a term that I highly doubt any of you have ever used in any conversation, but because y'all are such smart people whom pay such close attention to these messages, you know, in its most literal form, we would translate this term as blessedness. Uh, there's actually a divine implication with this word Beatitude. That, that is, y- you can't experience that this type of unwarranted favor that Jesus is describing with without God, that this blessedness is underscored by the grace of God in the life of the Jesus follower, that this blessedness is reserved for those who earnestly seek God and don't merely believe Jesus, but again, actually follow him. No amount of human striving or achieving what will ever get you there. It's a gift from God himself. As we've noted, it's it's a glimpse into the divine, what life was supposed to be like before sin started wreaking havoc on, on you and all the people around you. So, so as upside down as these statements appear in comparison to what the world would advocate for, they're, they're actually right side up in the kingdom of God. If you haven't been here for the entirety of this series, and let's be honest, most of you haven't been with all of our summer vacations and traveling, and that's okay, you can get yourself caught up at Grumla.com slash messages, uh, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcast. Now, uh, if you're watching today, in-, in particular, you didn't tune in for last week, July 2nd, when we were online on- only, uh, I'm begging you, please go back and listen to that message. Uh, as it always seems to go on those holiday weekends, I feel like God gives me some of my favorite messages uh, that that I, I've ever written before on those holiday weekends. I'm like, we're not even going to be in person. So again, make sure you go back and listen to those. And, and let me actually really quick re- return to something uh, that we really drove home in part one of this series. Uh, asking all of you to catch up on, on the content of this series isn't being motivated by our desire to, to get more listens and likes. Uh, I've all actually but be- begged all of you to use this summer to invest in your relationship with Jesus like never before. Uh, unfortunately, in our Western world, the summer is usually a time where Christians sort of like annually drift from the church and, and subsequently their relationship with God. So we've challenged all of you to, to pre-decide to not let that happen. We challenge y'all to pick up one of these Matthew scripture journals and and prioritize that daily time with Jesus. Begin to journal if you've never done that before and and allow the Holy Spirit to lead in that way. Make these Sunday mornings a priority where we gather together to to learn and, and worship. And if you happen to be out of town, and by the way, we're not shaming or admonishing anyone for that. It's important to rest, to get away with family and friends, but but be sure to at least listen to the message to receive that spiritual encouragement, to receive that teaching, and, and frankly, stay plugged in with, with where we're at as, as a church. And, and maybe you're watching right now and you already feel like, well, I've kind of been drifting this summer. It's not too late to correct course. We're, we're only like a little bit into the month of July. God isn't mad at you. He just wants to be close to you. More than anything else, he just wants a relationship with you. So, so use today as an opportunity to realign and, and reprioritize. Now today, as we move on to this fifth beatitude, uh, we're going to be hitting on a subject that, that all of us, so, something that we all want, and, and in some cases even demand from others, but yet we're, we're often reluctant to generously distribute this to the people around us. We, in fact, have all had moments in our lives where we actually demand this from God, and this applies even to those of you who aren't even sure if God exists, while we simultaneously withhold it from other people. Even at times using it, think about this, using it as a bargaining chip with God, the God that, in your mind, may or may not exist, but you're desperate, so you're assuming that if God is out there, he might be willing to listen to you in your moment of desperation. We'll use it as a bargaining chip with God if he will indeed bail us out. Well, let me give us an example to better explain what I mean. And I'm confident that this will resonate with just about every single one of us. Uh, it's a scenario where um, you have been pulled over by the police, right? For, for speeding or, or rolling through a stop sign or driving with expired plates. And, and after the police officer you know, pulls you over and then walks up to your vehicle, they always ask one question, right? What's that question? Do you know why I pulled you over? And then you and I, we go through our whole, like, I'm an ignorant imbecile routine, where where we pretend that we have no idea why we got pulled over, even though we know exactly why we got pulled over. It's also called lying. Uh, And then he asks you for your license and registration and says, I'll be right back. In that moment, what do every single one of us do? Come on, you you know, we start begging for, for divine intervention. God, please let me off right now. Because surely you care about this minor traffic incident. God, please let me off right now. And if you do, then I will dot, dot, dot. And thus begins the bargaining. Guys, please let me off right now. And if you do, I'll never speed again. I'll finally make that call to my sister. I'll forgive my neighbor over that weed trimmer that he broke last summer. Like You just start bargaining with everything that you can. You basically start putting everything on the table that God had previously been prompting you to do for months in some cases years and you have to imagine god's thinking like are you serious all it took was you being threatened with a 200 dollars speeding ticket and just like that y'all human beings are easier to motivate than originally anticipated but but, but here's what we overlook in these moments of desperation in our desperate pleas with God. And this is going to sound dramatic on the surface, but I promise it's true. We attempt to reverse the cosmic order of mercy. Think about it. We're attempting to bargain with God as if we have any bargaining chips to begin with. As if we have something that God wants or God needs. We're knocking on Willy Wonka's door to sell him some candy bars, and he's looking back at us going, like, do you you not know who I am? See, a beautiful moment, and I mean that. It's absolutely fantastic. It's freeing, even breathtaking. A beautiful moment comes along in our faith journeys. When we recognize, you ready for this? When we recognize that we have absolutely nothing to offer God, I mean, church, just think about it logically. He's, he's God. He created everything out of nothing. He, he knit us together in our mother's wombs. He created every living creature on this planet. He designed our world. He, he breathed the cosmos into existence without even lifting a finger. I mean, nothing that we have has, has ever enticed him. And it never has God looked down on a single one of us and thought like, wow, that, that was impressive. Hey, angels, get over here. Did, y- 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 y'all see that? But, but yet, think about this, this is beautiful, yet he still loves you. In fact, he's obsessed with you. There's nothing that he wants more than you. I mean, he would end up sending his one and only son to pay the penalty for your sin just so that you and I might have the opportunity to get that right relationship back with him. He would have died for you if it was just you. It's an incredibly sobering, it's a humbling, it is a freeing realization. And when you and I understand this, we, we discontinue our efforts to bargain with God. More specifically, we stop attempting to, to reverse the cosmic order of, for instance, mercy. Here's what, what Jesus shares in, in this fifth beatitude. And, and over and over again, he would double down on this thought during his time on this earth. I promise that this is far from a one-off. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, if you and I grew up going to church, and some of you did, we read this statement, and we don't really give it another thought. But it is, I promise you, as the title of the series would suggest, completely upside down. See, it's the complete opposite of our little bargaining attempts with God. It's also the complete opposite of how we typically see mercy work in the world around us. See, mercy, according to culture, always exclusively goes like this. If you show me mercy, then I will show you mercy. We wait on the other person to make the first move, and if they don't, well, uh, we're at a bit of a standstill, aren't we? And this is problematic because just about everyone you know subscribes to the same worldly mercy algorithm, which, again, it presents a problem, doesn't it? Because it results in... And all of us sort of awkwardly and oftentimes like painfully standing around waiting for that other person to make the first move, and, and we actually will use it as an excuse for an action. I mean, if he, if she would, would just show mercy, if they would just say sorry, if they would just take responsibility, then I would be happy to do the same for, for them. I mean, come on, isn't it the exact logjam that, that has undone many a marriage? strained many a friendship, drove a wedge in many a family. It's why counselors will always have a job. They, they are just attempting to get someone to make a move. So, so Jesus comes along and, and he flips again this entire paradigm upside down. That Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to leave this in the hands of my rather stubborn creation, so, so fine. I will make the first move. See, Jesus begins where most of us hope to end. J- Jesus begins with with the end in mind. J- Jesus actually extends to us the very thing that that we deserve the least and again not, not once you and I made the first move. Not not once we got our acts together. Paul in in one of my favorite passages of scripture in fact I think it, it should kind of be one of all of our favorite passages of scripture since uh, it reminds us of how frankly, screwed we were without Jesus, and, and shares with us Jesus' rescue plan. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, you and I, in this. While we were still, what's that word? Sinners. Christ died for us. Th- that is, in the midst of our rebellion, Jesus comes to our rescue. Read a little bit further, and, and we are, that, that is you and I, actually described as God's enemies, but, but despite our rebellion and enmity with, with God, he makes the first move. In, in one glorious display of mercy and love, Jesus declares, hey, gone are the days of, hey, if you show me mercy, then I'll show you mercy. And in are the days of, don't miss this, extend to others what I've already shown to you. But it's like, but Jesus, you, you, you don't know what she did to me. You don't understand how long that this has been going on. And listen, listen, I get it. If you sat me down and I heard the whole story, I would probably agree with you. I, Shea Prisk, would likely give you a pass. But Jesus wouldn't. And here's why. Jesus knows exactly what a lack of mercy in a person's life does for the soul. That, that, that it leads to bitterness and, and anger and, and impatience, kind of like the anti-fruits of the Spirit. It, it eats away at you day by day, month by month, year by year, until you become like this impatient, irritable, bitter version of yourself. Remember, Jesus is more for you than, than you could possibly know or imagine. Remember, he would give his life for you. So, so he wants what is best for you. And he knows the damage that, that an unmerciful heart does to, to the soul. See, when you and I, when we show mercy to the people around us, even those individuals who probably least deserve it, we not only show, we not only model Jesus to a world who so desperately needs him, it, it, it frees us to love others the way that Jesus loves them. In an ironic twist, when we refuse to extend mercy to the people around us, we lock ourselves in a prison of our own making. And yet we're the only ones who hold the key to our freedom. A freedom that allows us to love the people around us regardless of what they've done to us, regardless of how they have offended us, regardless of how they have hurt or wounded. Jesus, in fact, later on in, in Matthew's gospel account, he speaks very directly to this point when when he makes this startlingly blunt statement. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And when Jesus says body here, not only is he referring to our little physical bodies, but also our limited amount of time on this earth as a whole, all that we experience during our time on this earth. Jesus is saying, stop obsessing over what others have done to you, how you've been offended, your social status, your health, and instead focus on God and what he has already done for you. He who, oh, by the way, holds your body and soul in the palm of his hand. In other words, church, if I can just put this very plainly, get obsessive about following Jesus. Don't be a mere believer. I mean, as we mentioned all the time around here, how hard is it to believe in a guy who successfully predicted his own death and resurrection? No, no, no. Be a follower. And whether you've thought about it in these terms or not, central, foundational to following Jesus is following his lead in the mercy department. I mean, after all, is there any virtue that better models what Jesus did on the cross for us than than extending mercy to the people around us? And in particular, those who who least deserve it. Remember, Jesus would die for you while you were still a what? A sinner. At the center of our faith is a guy who was voluntarily but brutally tortured, beaten, and nailed to a cross covered in his own blood and the saliva of other men. Also that you and I might have the opportunity to, to, to get that right standing back. So so that we might have extended to us that, that which we deserve the, the least. Mercy. So so come on, when we think about it through that lens, is it any wonder that Jesus would utter these words, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy? And I want to remind us that, that that original audience, as we noted in part one, they had no idea what was coming. I mean, this would have certainly sounded virtuous, e- even righteous, but, but still the opposite of, of everything that everyone had ever been shown or, or ever known. But, but you and I, we, we know better. But because we know just how far G- Jesus would take this. So we can sort of tweak this this statement based off of what Jesus has now modeled for us on the cross. Blessed are the merciful, for, for they've already been shown mercy. Come on, based on what Jesus has already done for you, you better be quick to extend this to others. When we reflect on any wrongdoing committed against us or the people we care about, in light of what Jesus has already done for each of us on the cross, how could we possibly think of withholding mercy? To withhold mercy as followers of Jesus, it makes us what? Come on, this word pops up all over the gospel account. To withhold mercy as followers of Jesus, it makes us hypocrites, right? Right? And Jesus is telling us, that don't allow yourself to become the kind of person that you admonish, that you loathe, that you despise, that you roll your eyes at. To to, to return to that thought from the beginning of the message, be the kind of person that you want others to be to you. Don't don't be a mercy hoarder, a person who only offers it if if it's been offered to you. That's pagan thinking. That's worldly, I have no knowledge of Christ thinking. That is what hypocrites do. And instead, as a church, let's get obsessive about following Jesus. After all, we're not just believers, we are followers. He isn't merely our Savior, He is our Lord. And as our Lord, we we submit to His design, we submit to His plan, we discontinue attempting to reverse the cosmic order of things, and and we instead trust that God has our best interest in mind. I mean, after all, He did willingly exchange His one and only Son for for our sins. But let us be a people who, who extend to others what God through Christ has, has already extended to us. Now, as, as I wrap this up, I, I want to point out one last detail that, that some of you smart people surely have noticed that I, I kind of breezed right on past. I, I haven't avoided it. It, it just sort of was saved here for the end. I, I wanted to say what was most uncomfortable till the end. Let's take a look at that beatitude one more time. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Go ahead and read that one more time for yourself. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Doesn't doesn't it kind of seem, I mean, it's hard to miss. Doesn't it kind of feel like Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you don't show mercy to the people around you, that is your fellow image bearers, don't expect to find it with me. But, Come on, let's just assume that Jesus couldn't have possibly meant that. I mean, he's Jesus, and that doesn't sound like a very nice Jesus-y thing to say, right? So so let's just kind of move on past that thought that that it can't be what was originally intended. It must be like a translation error. But, But the problem is, is we go to the very next chapter, smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says something even more direct, almost meeting our suspicions head on it's like he's saying hey just in case you were quick to dismiss the implications of what i said at the beginning in that whole beatitude section let me just kind of clear the air real quick in matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 jesus says again middle of the sermon on the mount he says for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you well that's good news but he says but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins and it's like wait what it's like, well, Jesus, like, what what exactly did, did you mean by that? And it's like, I don't, I don't know how I could have made that any clearer or or said it any plainer. And, and some of y'all, you're, you're like literally scrambling for your Bibles right now. It's like, does it actually say that? Like, yeah. But but come on, let's just kind of think about this logically for a moment. To the original audience, that they sort of get a pass as they were surely flummoxed by the bluntness of the of this statement. But but Jesus made this statement with the not-so-distant future in mind. Jesus can make a statement like this with a completely straight face because he, like all of us actually, he knew what lay ahead. Jesus knew what, what was about to take place on the cross. All of us, with the benefit of knowing how this ends, understanding just how far Jesus would take this, a a more appropriate interpretation for our modern ears might read, after what I, Jesus, have done for you, would you dare withhold mercy from the people around you? Don't play stupid with God. You know exactly how far Jesus would take this. Do unto others exactly as God through Christ has already done unto you. Extend to others the very thing that he has already extended to you. Jesus says, follow me right on into my upside down kingdom. And as it would turn out, you'll be released from that prison of your own making. You'll experience a freedom that you didn't even know existed. A freedom to love like christ when you do for others what he has already done for you you will be blessed beyond measure and so the question that i'd like all of us to ask this morning is who do i need to extend mercy to understanding full well that that they might not do the same for you and guess what that's okay you'll find yourself very much in the company of of Jesus. That the Savior who died for us while we were still sinners. That the Savior who who exchanged his life for for your sin. Knowing full well that most of us would would still turn our backs to him. Who do I need to, to extend mercy to? I'd like you to take some time right now before we move on in the service and allow the Holy Spirit to perhaps dictate the answer to that question. God, we thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you extended to us that that which we often withhold from others. And we thank you that you're a God that when we come to you and, and we repent and we lay it at your feet, you're quick to forgive. Again, you're quick to extend that thing that, but again, we deserve the least. And so I pray that we would be a people um, who are known by our compassion who are known by our forgiveness, who are known by our mercy, that we're, we're quick to extend that to the people around us. After all, it's exactly what you did for us. I thank you for being a loving, a kind, a gentle, a, a merciful God. You're really good to us. It's your name we pray. Amen.